Hello and welcome to Empirical Discussions, part of the Empirical Evidence blog about all things cannabis. I'm Nick Johnson, historian, editor, and author of the book Grassroots, A History of Cannabis in the American West. Today, I'll be speaking with Adam Vine of Cage Free Cannabis, a Los Angeles-based group that partners with the legal cannabis industry to rectify the racist legacy of the drug war among black and brown communities. So um, the first question I have for you is just really, I mean, how did this group come about? Uh, what, what are kind of the, uh, the intellectual foundations of it or, or the community foundations of it? So this goes back to my previous career, essentially, um, in political media and issue-based advocacy. And what that looked like was working quite intensively with a group of community-based organizations around Los Angeles County that do work like violence prevention, re-entry programs for people coming back from incarceration, youth organizing and youth empowerment, and various other aspects of repairing harms of the war on drugs. And while I was working with them and documenting their efforts, I was also working on advocacy in favor of cannabis legalization. And pretty quickly, it became clear to me that the, the benefits of the emerging above-ground cannabis industry were not flowing back to the communities of color that have been devastated by the war on drugs for decades. And it seemed to me um, quite logical and obvious that we needed to construct mechanisms to ensure that profits from the industry were going back to those communities and that also that those communities would have a place in ownership in the emerging industry. So I started to workshop that idea. Um, with those community-based organizations I was collaborating with, um, and also with my friend and uh, business partner, Andrew Epstein, um, who ended up co-founding Cage Free with me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the feedback that we got just from that, that idea um, was, very, was very positive. The need was there. The need is still there. Right. So we started thinking through what that could actually look like. And we ended up in the place where we are with um, essentially a model that's uh, quite inspired by the Newman's Own Foundation and the Newman's Own line of products. Right. I'm familiar um, with that. They give a, a certain amount of their proceeds or they, all their pro profits go to charity. Right. Exactly. So we ended up with a structure very similar. Um, we have cage-free cannabis, which is a benefit corporation, um, essentially a for-profit entity. Um, that's set up to uh, consult with cannabis brands on their corporate social responsibility and to essentially um, redirect profits from that side. And then we have a nonprofit side called Cage Free Repair, hmm. which is then structured to redistribute funds and to engage in advocacy um, for a, an equitable, just, and reparative cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually struck by that word uh, "reparative" because um, I feel like it's a very, yeah. uh, it's a very important uh, central concept uh, to to this group. Um, the website yeah. um, states, "Cage Free Cannabis" website states that uh, it's under the work is undergirded by this concept of reparative justice. Uh, can you briefly yeah. explain what that concept is and then why it's so important? So the concept 
uh, it doesn't stand alone. It's very much informed by um, other concepts of restorative and transformative justice. Mm-hmm. So in, in this context, what we mean is that our sense of justice is informed by history and by the things that have been done in the name of the war on drugs and cannabis prohibition specifically. Um, and, and what that has done is, has devastated and broken communities. People have lost housing, people have lost jobs, people have lost employment and access to education, and they've lost their lives and their liberty mm-hmm. to this war on drugs. So moving forward as, you know, recreational cannabis uh, begins to spread both throughout the U.S. and around the globe, our sense of justice is grounded in this idea of repair, in that we cannot move forward with this industry without repairing the harms of the past. And concretely, what that means is is beginning with those things that were broken, with the housing, with the employment, with education, with people's lives and their liberty, and with the well-being of communities as a whole. Right. So that's a very ambitious... Does that make sense? Yeah, oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, cool. Um, and it's it's in line with, you know, everything that I found, you know, during the course of research uh, from my book as well, um, you know, which again is one of the reasons yeah. why uh, I wanted to talk with you. Um, so that's <laughs> yes. that's a very ambitious project. You know, you're talking about reaching out into, you know, very complex realms of society as far as, you know, housing, uh, you know, employment, these kinds of things that may not necessarily be uh, explicitly or obviously tied to cannabis. Um, so yeah. um, with on that note, I wanted to ask, you know, on, on the cage-free cannabis side, it also says that, you know, you guys consult with brands that be, you know, companies, I guess, in the cannabis industry um, on, quote, social responsibility plans. And so that, w- I'm yeah. really curious about that. So what is a social responsibility plan? And this might get to some of the more specifics of how you plan to tackle uh, the the housing and the employment and the other things you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, Well, this, you know, the idea of corporate social responsibility is not a new one and doesn't, right. um, Doesn't come from the cannabis industry per se, but it can certainly be applied to this industry. And when you do apply it, it it has certain um, outcomes that are different because of the history of the war on drugs. And, Typically, what it means really is corporate social responsibility entails uh, a, a certain brand or company's efforts to give back to a community, to engage with that community over a longer term, and to reflect the values of the brand in terms of the work that they do outside of their daily business. And for us, and you know, for the cannabis brands that we've um, consulted with, um, it it takes a variety of different forms. Because um, while so many of these problems are global, truly, um, their their repair and this idea of social responsibility is often very local. Right. And. So as brands are thinking about how they want to engage with the communities around them, often that is expressed very locally. Um, typically, cannabis brands um, have engaged in 
uh, philanthropy or social responsibility that looks like um, beach cleanups or uh, feeding houseless people. Right. Um, you know, uh, which which is okay. Those things are necessary. Um, but they don't really get at the core of the problems that we're talking about. And so that that is our job, to uh, bring brands into that longer-term, uh, deeply rooted sense of responsibility. So in your mind, what would a an, an ideal social responsibility plan look like? What What should a responsible cannabis company be doing? Yeah, a... Responsible cannabis companies should be donating a portion of its profits to reparative justice efforts um, that are in line with the community's needs around it. Mm-hmm. So, this might include, for um, instance, uh, supporting uh, financially a, a candidate um, who is running on a message of uh, of you know erasing um, the the um, the criminal records of people who were uh, arrested during the war on drugs, for instance, would that be something that a responsible cannabis business would do? Uh, yeah. I mean, right. it could look like that. It could look like right. also just helping people expunge their records on their own, you know, not waiting for a candidate to do it. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. It can take so many different forms, which in a way is, is both the blessing and the curse of this field. Um, It's so complex, it can be overwhelming at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's so much need for repair. Um, But that also means there are so many opportunities Mm -hmm. for brands and individuals to give back. Um, But true social responsibility goes beyond giving back. Ideally, it should be incorporated into the very bones of the brand itself. Mm -hmm. And so that's... um, that, that speaks to uh, hiring. It speaks to how workers are treated. It speaks to um, what the ownership and management team looks like. So that brands should begin to not only diversify, if they're not diverse already, um, but to really put an emphasis on hiring and empowering people who have been harmed by the war on drugs. Right, that's kind of the direct reparative uh, thrust of what you're you're trying to to get at. Right, that's the, probably the most obvious example is giving these people from these communities uh, that have suffered so much in the drug war an opportunity in this industry that has come about as as the result of the of the end of this drug war. You know, at least in in some places. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Right. And um, it's also. Uh, connected with with how we are launching this pilot program in Seattle. I don't know if you want me to go into that now or or wait till you ask more directly about it. Uh, Yeah, I actually did want to ask you about that, but I did have one thing that I wanted to kind of get work in while we're talking about the overall concepts and your goals of your group. Um, I've noticed that your group seems to be a relatively unique one in you know the the legal cannabis community or the discourse uh, in that it emerges social justice and environmental sustainability goals and yeah. i'm I'm curious as to why did you decide to add the environmental sustainability aspect um, in addition mm-hmm. to social justice and how do you think the two concepts are, are interrelated 
That's a good question. Um, yeah, to to us, they you can't separate them, um, and and I say that for a few reasons. Um, one, I believe that the way that we treat the planet and the way that we treat people are deeply interconnected, um, just on a core human level. But also, if you look at the the costs of um, our environmental devastation, um, those costs also tend to be borne by communities of color, disproportionately so. Right. Um, so uh, they are connected on that level as well. Um, and to me, I think if you look at the state that we're in as a, as a country, but also as a planet, um, you cannot trade one for the other. You can't really prioritize the well-being of people over the planet or the well-being of the planet over, the, over people. Uh, you have to elevate them both. And, and as, as this specific industry develops, um, you can see uh, some, some real concerning um, environmental costs starting to add up. Uh, whether you're looking at packaging or water usage in particular. Um, and at the same time, of course, you can also see the erasure of communities of color from this industry. So um, given, given that we do our best to view communities as a whole, it only made sense for us to really treat both the uh, environmental justice and the economic and reparative justice ideas as, as being completely equal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, so that brings us to this new initiative, which is kind of, um, it, it's actually trying to fuse, seems like it'd be fusing both of these concepts because you're talking about a, a specific strain, right? That's going to be grown, yeah. a, a specific strain of cannabis that's going to be grown and sold in certain dispensaries in the Seattle area, correct? Yes. And uh, this proceeds from this strain um, will be going directly toward uh, your efforts uh, at reparative justice. Uh, is, is that correct? Um, and correct. yeah, and so so I, I'm assuming that this this strain is going to be produced, you know, environmentally sustainably. Um, but I, I guess I don't know. I'm not familiar with the producers that you're you're working with to 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 grow it. But um, seems like that would be somewhat of a requirement on your end um, in order to get this to get this rolling. But yeah, can you explain a little bit more about this 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 uh, first initiative you guys have with this stream? Sure. Yeah, this is a collaboration between four different groups. Actually, uh, this is a collaboration between a cultivator uh, called Fine Detail Greenway. They're based in Bellingham, Washington, just outside of Seattle, mm -hmm. and uh, dispensary called Lux Pot Shop that has two locations in Seattle, a band called The Flavor Blue, which is a, um, a band that's a Seattle band, really, although they have some presence in Los Angeles as well, mm -hmm. and us. And so the cultivator um, grew this new strain, named it after the band. Uh, so they called this strain Flavor Blue. Mm -hmm. And it'll be sold um, at Lux Pot Shop, and all the net proceeds from those sales 
will come to cage-free cannabis, and in turn, we will then reinvest them in a reparative justice project in Seattle. Okay. Um, any ideas as to what specifically uh, you'll be working on? Yes. Um, so the first fund will be dedicated to creating a reparative justice council in Seattle, composed exclusively of people who have been directly harmed by the war on drugs. And then that council will be empowered to determine how future funding is allocated Mm. with a mandate to foster equity, justice, and repair. Hmm. So some may see this as uh, maybe another layer of oversight on the cannabis community, um, which, you know, clearly you've outlined the very uh, good reasons for the existence of such a council. But I mean, what, in what way do you think that this might be um, helping uh, the cannabis industry versus imposing another kind of set of people who are trying to, you know, tell them what to do with their business or, or that sort of thing. Hmm. In a way, I think it's both. I think it is helping and it, it, it also is uh, somewhat prescriptive. I, I wouldn't deny that. Yeah. Um, but I think of this as a pilot project. This is the first right. such project that, that we're engaging in. And from this, we really want to learn. We want to learn how this affects consumer behavior, how it affects corporate behavior. Um, and by that, I mean, when we entered into this, we sent questionnaires to the cultivator and the dispensary to get a sense of their, um, their practices, whether that's their growing practices or their employment practices sure. um, or their overall community engagement. And to your earlier point, yes, it was important to us that the grower be sustainable and that, you know, all parties uh, pay their workers living wages. So in a sense, we really want to highlight those practices and make sure that consumers are aware of them. Mm -hmm. In a way, this is just as much a a consumer education project as anything else, Mm -hmm. um, so that people begin to see beyond their their simple cannabis purchase that you know that there are workers involved there are environmental costs involved and and there's a whole history of war on drugs involved with every purchase yeah i mean especially when we're having groups like the cannabis certification council advocating for you know sustainably grown sun-grown cannabis and trying to educate consumers in that way um, you are trying to raise awareness of this, the social justice issues and the history surrounding cannabis, which I, I believe is, you know, very unique to uh, the founding of an industry, you know, and I think that represents one of the great opportunities we have with the legal cannabis industry is we do have the opportunity to look at the big picture and see where we've come from and how we can, uh, you know, ameliorate some of that. Uh, awful history within this this new industry that's coming out and environmentally as well as socially and as you pointed out before there's no question that those two concepts um, are connected and that's you know part of my uh, my goal as an environmental historian is to bring out those connections you mm. know and this concept of environmental justice you know which um, a lot of people throw around but aren't really um, you know quite sure about what it means sometimes but this is the perfect example of that um your your group's work um so i think it's just incredibly fascinating for the cannabis enthusiasts out there those who may be wondering what this flavor blue strain uh is and what it might uh taste and feel like um 
any any insight uh, into the actual strain itself? Um, does it yeah. does it does it quote unquote smell like a justice? Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or or might that be just a marketing tagline for it? I don't know. Do you know yeah, anything yeah, about that? that? Could be, I no, I do, I do. So it's a um, sativa dominant hybrid. It's uh, blue dream crossed with purple lemon haze, and um, came out. Uh, tasting great, um, elevates your senses, uh, but keeps you motivated uh, to do the work that, that lies ahead. Interesting. So uh, daytime smokers might find it uh, useful or, or enjoyable. Exactly. Um, one other thing that uh, just occurred to me is that, you know, you, you talk about, you know, social justice for, um, you know, marginalized communities, uh, people of color. Um, there's a lot of talk about how the cannabis industry, you know, because it's this new industry that developed, you know, in the 21st century, that it's it's more equitable as far as, you know, it's it's treatment of women and, and you know, that women uh, represent, um, you know, uh, I haven't seen the latest figures yet, but uh, a significant portion of, you know, CEOs more so than other uh, industries. So that's being touted as kind of, you know, this is the cannabis industry is very diverse and all of that. And, and I'm just wondering um, what your take on that is and how I know you've got um, some you know women working on your advisory board and all of that who who study the cannabis industry. And I just was uh, wondering what um, initiatives uh, your group would or, or maybe don't, doesn't want to get into revolving uh, gender equity in the cannabis industry? Yeah, gender, gender equity and gender parity is a concern in the cannabis industry as it is in every industry. Um, it is not our primary concern yeah. uh, because we are focused on repairing harms of the war on drugs. Um, but I certainly see this every day. I see it in the panels, at conferences. Um, I see it uh, at the roundtables that policymakers sit around. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it certainly is a concern. And you know, as um, as a white guy who's starting an organization like this, um, it is on my mind, of course, that I don't necessarily want to center my own voice. And in a sense, what we're doing with the pilot project in Seattle, um, we want to model a form of um, of equity in every sense of the word. So the, the reparative council that we'll put together um, has to be gender balanced um, but it also needs to be multiracial, multigenerational, um, right. geographically diverse within Seattle, um, but with an emphasis on um, the black and brown communities that have been devastated by the war on drugs. So we, we're, we're always balancing uh, in our work and uh, to the best of our ability want to create some kinds of infrastructure so that it never comes down to, you know, where I think money should be allocated, but instead it comes down to where a collective body of people. Uh, who have the, who have the experience and know the history and know the yeah. inequity that that history has produced and therefore they're granted or they, they have earned this authority to kind of say, this is where, you know, things should go from here. Um, and I, I think it's an incredible concept. 
Um, and so do you imagine uh, trying to get more cities, more major cities um, in cannabis legal states to adopt these these councils, these reparative justice councils? Yes, exactly. That is the goal. Um, okay. We want to learn from this first one and, uh, and then create um, councils in as many different cities as possible. Yeah, and, it, and it's fascinating because, you know, in my book, I, I view the growers and uh, the other people who are working for, you know, environmentally sustainable cannabis as the kind of builders of a model for the rest of agriculture, right? You know, if we can have mm-hmm. organic cannabis and get people to care about organic cannabis, you know, why can't we do it with other foods? And you're basically uh, outlining the exact same concept, except with with an industry as, as regards to um, social justice and social awareness, you know, awareness of inequality. Um, you know, I don't know of any other industry, you know, should your group succeed in creating, you know, a few of these councils that would have reparative justice uh, councils, you know, uh, at least with uh, a minimal amount of influence over, you know, how the industry is developing and how its businesses are being formed. I mean, could you think of an energy <laughs> company hiring a reparative justice, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, it, it's just, it, it's, it represents in my mind, you know, this, this great opportunity that we do have with cannabis and it's, it's an industry that isn't, yeah. it hasn't yet formed an entrenched way of doing things in the way that a lot of other dominant popular industries have done. And I think that is like, as you put it earlier, it's, it's really complex and it's a great challenge, but it's also a tremendous opportunity. Uh, so Adam, yeah. I, I really wanted to thank you for, for taking the time to speak with me this morning. And uh, I really uh, wish you and your group uh, the best of luck. And um, I hope that you'll be able to find some success. Um, is there anything that anybody listens to this interview uh, do or where they could go to get more information about your group? Absolutely. Yes, we're at cagefreecannabis.com. And we're on Instagram at cagefreecannabis and on Facebook at cagefreerepair. And uh, we're always open to feedback and outreach from people all over the world, actually. So um, I hope that that your listeners reach out, and we're glad to be in touch and to to keep this movement uh, pushing forward. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much again, Adam. This is uh, Adam Vine. He is the co-founder of Cage Free Cannabis. It's a Los Angeles-based group that is trying to work with the legal cannabis industry to kind of ameliorate some of the uh, racist legacy of the drug war. We'll see you next time here on Empirical Discussions.